Thanks, gentlemen. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, we need your help today. We need your help today because we are frail and weak creatures. We need your help today because we want to follow you. We need your help today because the things that we're dealing with really come through your spirit. So they're not just uh, information we want and desire transformation in the deepest parts of us. So please work today. Be pleased to work today. And God, because we know that you love us, we believe that you want to work in us today. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 where Josh just read for us. We are, we're getting through the entire book and we are, it'll, it'll end. Um, <laughs> we're, we're getting there. In Hebrews chapter 11, what my goal is today is to kind of draw a picture. And let me start by telling you a little bit of a story. There's something that flowed out of my life. When I was finishing up college, I looked up suddenly in my junior year of college and found out I was actually going to graduate in my senior year of college. Now, what is amazing about that is instead of squeezing four years into five or six or something, I suddenly found out that I had squeezed four years into four and was going to get done on time. That meant I needed to actually know for sure what my career was. And as I really started praying through it, I felt like God was moving me away from my business marketing background, what all my training was in, and moving me towards the pastorate. One really nice part about that was as I made that decision, as we came to that, I looked up that summer as I graduated from college and realized I actually had two job offers and I hadn't sent a single resume. Now, why that stands out is obviously I had a bunch of friends who sent about 170 resumes to try and find one place, and here I had two job offers. One of them was um, a great opportunity in a church in Connecticut to go and be the director of student ministries, and that was a real neat privilege. And, and uh, the pastor there had gotten in touch with me and said, put your resume together. We want to, to talk about having you come here. That would have meant that I would have the opportunity to do the seminary. It would mean that I'd have the opportunity to have a paycheck. It would mean that I'd have the opportunity to do ministry. But then, right after that, I was given another opportunity from the camp that I had worked at. and They said, we want you to come here and be the program director. Now, they wanted to give me one-third of the salary that I would have gotten at the church, which still wasn't a huge salary, but, you know, $6,000 a year. And they were going to bless me with that. But I had worked at this camp. And I was excited about this. And I had always dreamed about getting to be on staff there. Where this all comes together was I remember talking to my dad about it. And I said, Dad, what do you think? Now, have you ever had that kind of conversation? I hope that you've had the opportunity to do that. I asked my dad, I said, Dad, I don't know what to do. I really, really want to go work at this camp. And my dad and I talked and he said, Mark, he said, I love you. He said, I really think because I love you, that the best situation for you would be to go on and to join and work with this church rather than stay at Romney. I have to admit, I was not really happy. I was not really looking for that. I had all these great reasons why it would be way more spiritual for me to go in this direction. But one of the things that I am grateful for was that God gave me the wisdom to listen to my dad to trust my dad's heart, even though it didn't head where I wanted it. 
Now we know as teenagers, sometimes that's not easy to do, right? But today in this passage, we're going to see again, as God calls himself our heavenly father, that one of the things that's really important for us is to listen, to trust, to believe him. Knowing that's not always going to be easy. Knowing that believing him, what he says is really true, isn't always going to just run right with my heart or my experience or what I even see as best. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Josh just read this for us. And what I want to do is I want to just begin here. I want to remind us what chapter 11 is really all about. Chapter 11 really begins at the end of chapter 10, verse 39. But if you had the title chapter uh, 11, really the concept at least, the key concept there is to say, persevere in faith. Persevere. Keep going. Continue to move. What's happening here is our pastor who's writing this letter to these Hebrews that are scattered all over the world has been moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is critical for us to understand this. He's moved by the Holy Spirit, which means that these are God's exact words that are written in this text. This is not a man's opinion. This is not just a concept that this pastor is speaking and that he might flip-flop on or change later on. These are God's words that are written here in this chapter. They hold incredible weight and authority in my life and in your life. So he is moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget the fact, though, that there's still the uniqueness of his personality. God works through his people and accomplishes exactly what he wants. That's the theory of inspiration, isn't it? These words are inspired by God. And this pastor then is calling his people to live to persevere, to continue on by faith. Bottom line, he's saying it is necessary. It is necessary for them not just to have come to faith, but to live by faith day by day. He's calling them to persevere, to continue on. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to live by faith? Let me just remind us of a few things. In verse 1 of chapter 11, we find out that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So, bottom line, believing that the promises of God are worth trusting. Even more than what I feel. More than what I hope. More than what I want. Amen? Is that easy? No. But this is the calling. The second thing that we understand through verse 1 is this, that we are sure that God is actively involved in the affairs of this world. More than what I can see, more than what I can rationalize, more than what I can put my hands on and control, God is really in control of this world, the evidence of what's seen. Then our author is going to go on and he's going to say, okay, let me prove that to you. Let me show you that this is the way that people from the Old Testament, all of your heroes, this is the way that they lived. 
He's going to give them as our illustration. So that's what chapter 11 does. It flows through history to show us what it looks like to live by faith. Then in verse 6, we find out why this is so important, though. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that's a massive word, isn't it? Without faith, if I do not live by faith, I can't please God. I can give away all of my money to the poor. But if it's not by faith, it doesn't please God. I can give my body to be burned. But if it's not by faith, it doesn't please God. If my heart is not knit and trusting in who God is. And then he gives two qualifiers there in verse 6. He's going to say this. We must believe that God exists. And what we looked at that week was we said that God is self-existent. In other words, God is not dependent on anything. God doesn't need food this morning. God doesn't need your money today. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need your prayer. He's not handicapped by anything that we do. But we need to believe, and, and what we need to also understand in that, and this is so critical, that means that God is the ultimately happy being in all of the universe. Do you, you think about Him that way today? Some of us may come in with this image of God as being angry or upset or just kind of generally ticked off at everybody. You know, he's kind of sitting there. He's the micromanager. He's the guy who has the white glove and his idea is just to kind of make everybody as miserable as he is. But that is not a biblical understanding of God. A biblical understanding of God is that everything that God has ever put his hand to has turned out exactly the way that he wanted it to. He's never come up short. He's never tried it and said, oh, that wasn't quite what, you know, that's not the explanation for platypus. It wasn't that he just looked and said, oh, I don't know what to do with this thing. Everything God has put his hand to has turned out exactly the way that he wants with the consequence that it wants. So he is the ultimately happy God. When you think of God, I pray and trust and believe that like we said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, that what you would think of is love and faithfulness. He's happy. He's loving. He's kind. He is a dad like my dad was. In, in that moment when I was asking him that question, he was genuinely interested in my good. He wasn't trying to live through me. He wasn't trying to gain something through me. He wasn't, even, he wasn't using me. He genuinely sought my good. God genuinely seeks your good. The way he does it is unique. And only God can pursue it that way. Okay? Because he seeks his own glory and says, if you will seek your glory in me, if you will let me be your life, that's where you will find what is best for you. So we have to believe that God exists. But the second thing is this, and this flows out of his being happy. This flows out of him being a joyful God. He's also a rewarder of those who seek him. God rewards you for coming to him. God is so full and he's so generous that he literally just overflows. 
he, he's not so desperate and needy that he needs our offering, that he needs our praise, that he's, he's, he, he needs you. you know, he, he's not insecure like a seventh grader. Instead, he is so complete, so confident, so loving, so happy, so joyful that he actually just overflows his life into your life. He's a fountain of life, a fountain of energy, a fountain of beauty, a fountain of joy, and a fountain of power. All of these things flow out of God. He's a rewarder. So you might be here today thinking, I don't know why I'm here. I'm not a good person. I'm not somebody that God would like. I'm, you know what? Let me just tell you this. Let me just draw you into this to say, you know what? God, God is a rewarder. He's so happy that he wants to reward you today for being here, for pursuing him, for seeking him. He, he's not looking down on you saying, I wish you would leave me. Instead, he's saying, I want to bless you. I want to bless you for being here today. I want to give something special, unique, beautiful, and great to you. Do you believe that? That's what the calling of Hebrews chapter 11 really is. That's what it's based out of. Now, let's look there in verses 32 through uh, 40 where Josh just read for us though. Because as he goes through this, he's laid out this whole history of all of these people our pastor has said, don't give up. Keep going. Continue to live by faith because it's good and it's necessary for your salvation. Let me ask this question, though. Why would he need to say this? If God is that great and that rewarding and that loving and that blessing, why would he need to write this to his people? What do you remember about their context? What are they going through? Okay, they're going through persecution. Some of them have lost their homes. Some of them have lost their possessions. Some of them may have lost their jobs. It doesn't seem from uh, context in chapter 12 that any of them have lost their lives yet. But they are facing deep pain. So where's the rub? God is great and he's loving and he's powerful and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. What's he rewarding them with right now? Pain, suffering, difficulty, hardship. Can anyone ever relate to difficulty and hardship and pain and suffering? I think we all can. But, but what happens? Suffering and pain derail us from seeking God. We'll talk more about that in a minute. These Christians had joyfully accepted the plundering of their property as well as other forms of abuse. But this is what our author is aiming for. He wants to call his hearers, and that includes us, to, this, to be the same type of people. He wants to call us to be people who love God and others even when the price of that love is high. Even when it costs their freedom. Even when it costs their property even when it costs their reputation. He wants them to joyfully face the possibility of pain and do what love demands no matter what. So Hebrews 11 is, it's sort of interesting, there's no, there are no commands in Hebrews chapter 11. It doesn't tell you to do a thing. 
And yet it's setting up chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's setting it up to say, listen, live your life of faith. A a life of sacrifice and service to others. Live it out of love for God and love for them so that even if it costs you, you will do what's best, what's good. This is a heavy order. This is a weighty passage. So what he's going to do here is he's going to kind of finish this up. So look at verse 32. He says this. He says, what, what more shall I say? I've told all these stories, and you can read those again if you haven't looked at them recently. I've told all these stories about these people who've gone before and they lived by faith. And that faith cost them something. And yet they trusted God even though it cost them something. He says, I I could take more time. You can tell he's a pastor, right? Because he says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. And then he's going to give this list. And listen to this list here in verses 33. He says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, They quenched the power of the fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. And they put foreign armies to flight. And women received back their dead by resurrection. See, even though he says, I'm not going to talk about this, he still talks about it. You can tell he's a pastor. He can't help himself. But he's going to draw these images out, right? He's going to name some names. He's going to draw some images out and say, listen, look at what happens. And what do you sense about these first couple verses? What's the end result? They go through suffering and they end up where? In triumph. The story turns out well for them. The suffering that they're going through becomes becomes blessing. The, The oppression that they're under is lifted. The, the, the fact, that last phrase, picture these moms. We know of two Old Testament stories where moms were brought back their children that had died. Man, that's a Cinderella story. That is what God is capable of doing. That is powerful. These are stories of triumph. These are stories of success and of victory. Go through the hard time. You come out the other side. You know, this is, this is that movie, what, Rudy. This is, the, this is you know, Hoosiers. This is, the, these are the types of movies that we love, aren't they? These are the types of things that go on there. The underdog comes out on top. We bought a zoo, and we made it through, and we found love, and everything else turned out good. Right? Sometimes walking by faith ends up in triumph. But note the difference. Note the difference here. The second half of verse 35. Just after we hear about these women who received back their dead by resurrection, we also find out though that some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Sometimes resurrection happens now. And sometimes resurrection happens through death is the image that happens here. There's a change of tone, isn't there? The music on the background of this passage just changed. 
Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Verse 38, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Sometimes walking by faith ends up in tragedy. Now what is true of both of these groups? One group has triumph and one group has tragedy and yet both walked by what? Faith. Was the faith better of the group that ended up in success? We don't get that sense at all, do we? Now I know that's popular today. And I know that's actually filtered sometimes into our thinking. Even if we say, hey, I'm not a health and wealth prosperity theologian, it still flows into our lives, doesn't it? But there is no... The author wants us to see that walking by faith can sometimes feel like triumph and sometimes can feel like a tragedy. And both can be walking by faith. The question is, are you walking by faith? Faith requires delayed gratification. Because when you're walking through the pain that leads to triumph, what does it still feel like? Pain. Hot, searing pain. Do you know that that triumph is going to be there? Let's think of Gideon. When he takes his army from, from 30,000 down to 300, do you think it really feels like he's going to win at the end of this thing? No. It's pain. It's scary. And yet, do you think the person who's walking through the life when they're looking at it saying, hey, you know what? And, and, and no, it's, it's, it's possible. Was it Isaiah who they say was sawn into? Um, you know, the, the story was that after serving God so faithfully, um, he hid in a tree, and a cypress tree, and they came and they cut it in half, him in the middle of it. There's story after story about faithful prophets who are put to death. Story after story about faithful men and women in Scripture who love God and follow God, and their end is tragedy instead of success. Is that a mistake on this pastor's part? No. It's very intentional because he's calling you and me to walk by faith, trusting Jesus through whatever, but he's making some promises in here as well. Let me just also point out this, that delayed gratification. Look at verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. David didn't receive what was promised. Because what was promised? Look at this. It says, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect, what was it that God provided that was better? Jesus. Yeah. They were looking forward to the day when God would send a deliverer. Elijah looked for it. Elisha looked for it. Abraham looked for it. They looked ahead, but we found out in chapter 10 that that 
high priest had come. He ties us into, again, these heroes of the faith. He calls us in to be in the middle of them. Well, let me ask this. What does that look like today? For us, the tragedy and the triumph. And what I asked, I asked Josh Foster if he'd come and just share a, a, a brief testimony, just something that he's been kind of flowing through in his life. Not because it's the worst thing that's ever happened to somebody. Come on up, Josh. Not because it's the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody. But honestly, I think it's because it's something that's so similar to what most of us go through and the difficulty and the challenges that, that we walk through on a day-to-day basis. Thanks. <clears throat> um, so if anyone of you guys, like, are on our, fa- like, say our Facebook page or anything like that, you've really noticed throughout this past year we've had a lot of car issues, uh, consistent. There's a lot of really good stories in that, but uh, this past probably two weeks has been really the climax of that story. <clears throat> um, now, I, I got to say, for some guys, they'll probably hear the story and be like, well, that was the problem. Obviously, it's not that big of a deal. But for me, I don't know cars. I don't, I'm not a handyman at all. If you have to go to Home Depot or Napa to fix it, that's where I like, cannot do anything. I'm not capable of any of this stuff. Never learned this stuff. So that's where my big struggle is. Um, I had made it my goal to get a new inspection sticker for Alyssa's car before the year was up. Um, but my car had been slowly leaking coolant, and it seemed like nothing serious. But um, the Monday, I think, after Christmas, it finally broke, which all the coolant just started flowing out really bad. A co-worker had suggested a quick fix that he had just done on a car. Um, but if it didn't work, it would mean that the water pump was gone, and it would require other things that were broken, and it would be something that was a repair that was way, worth way more than what the car was. So I went into the fix pretty optimistic and hopeful, and I did what I needed to do, started up the car, and I just watched as coolant just gushed on the ground, like as if I was sitting there pouring it out. Um, I just really felt utterly hopeless. I thought the worst case scenario. Throughout the night, I kept checking on it, and it was getting better, but it still needed to be looked at by a mechanic. Uh, This really didn't go well with me. I'm thinking that we're going to have to replace the car. We're definitely not in the position to be able to do this right now. I remember being really frustrated and bitter. Um, with yet another chunk of our money going towards our cars. Um, probably like a week before this, I heard a pastor say that everything good and bad is a test. Uh, God gives us trials and prosperity. Both are meant to bring us to him. And I thought to myself, when is this test going to end? When are our cars going to actually like, help us and not just be a pain all the time? Uh, so the next day, I called the shop to make an appointment. They're all booked until Wednesday, so I waited until Alyssa got home, um, and we drove it to drop it off. So at this point... Um, usually when cars, I usually don't freak out until I get how much it costs to fix it. I'm usually okay with it. Um, but I was pretty stressed out and was pretty anxious about it. But I was dealing with it. Uh, I felt like everything was going to be okay. Uh, whatever happened, we'd be able to face it. I would say that, honestly, I could have told you that I, be- I completely believe that God was in control of this and was going to do what's best for us. Uh, I was slightly optimistic. We joked about how we should just junk both of our cars and take on car payments and just thinking of the best case scenario, like hopefully just get rid of these and get new cars. Like we'll deal with the payments if we have to. But so we rode back in Alyssa's car, um, and then the wipers stopped. Her her wipers stopped working, and it was raining out, and it was nighttime, so it was really hard to see, and I was fuming. Um, thankfully, we were less than a mile away from the home. Uh, like I said before, cars are not my thing. So of course, when I looked at it, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. Um, 
And so I'm, with me, I'm thinking with both cars needing repairs that we're not know, we don't know how much they're going to cost, probably really huge uh, cost potentially. Uh, my trust in God completely left, left my heart. I did not, at that point, I didn't believe he cared about us. I didn't believe he was helping us. I did not believe that he was doing anything good for us. Uh, this wasn't just in my head, but out loud. I actually, I remember yelling at God, why are you doing this? Uh, furious with the situation, um, I actually began to regret all the times we had been generous with others in our tithing. I thought if only we had the money, we would be more than all set right now. This wouldn't be an issue. I, I've definitely failed to trust God many times, but never have I felt utterly hopeless and absolutely faithless in him. I've never felt so much anger at him, and nor have I voiced it out so loudly before. I remember going inside. I remember rejecting Alyssa's offer to pray with me. I remember refusing to hear her speak the gospel to me. I didn't want good news. Uh, I actually really enjoyed my anger. I felt justified in my assessment of who God was. Eventually, I calmed down and uh, came to grips that this was out of my hands. I wasn't happy or okay with it, but I understood it. Alyssa drove me to work the next day, and thankfully the maintenance guy at work was able to fix the wipers, so that was one crisis avoided. But a couple hours later, the mechanic called to inform me that a seal in the water pump had blown instead of the whole thing. It would be under a couple hundred dollars to fix, which was another crisis uh, averted. I had felt convicted and repented before all of this, but this made forgiveness seem more real to my soul. I had gotten a te- couple text messages from a friend of ours asking about our address and said they had something they wanted to drop off for us. When I got home, there was an envelope. Inside was a generous amount of money, as well as an encouraging note. I remember how tangible this really made God's forgiveness and love for us feel to me. It was as if God was saying, I know you were a complete jerk last night. I know how much you hated me last night. But I love you, and you're forgiven. But I know who you are. Here, I want you to hold my forgiveness in your hands. And please, I'm not preaching uh, prosperity. Uh, I don't want you to think that. But I'm just saying that God really, God knew that I didn't completely believe that he was going to do what would bring my uh, best for us. But this was what would bring my heart to really trust him. This really led my heart to actually want to worship again. <clears throat> it, was fa- it was funny also because at this point, we were actually getting the bills now. We're fi- financially all set. I remember thinking and kind of feeling guilty because we, it seemed like we didn't actually need the money now. Uh, that we actually had enough. Um, so later on, Steve Green had been kind enough to help me out and teach me how to work on cars, which has truly been a blessing and helped us out a lot. On New Year's Eve, we got together and we did what we could on the car, Lissa's car to get it ready and determine what part we needed for the final repair. Uh, Sunday, we woke up and decided to do laundry. As I was packing up the car, I noticed that my back left tire was flat. Uh, it was completely fat, flat. We remembered on the ride home last night, we had hit a can in the middle of the road, and this my heart just reverted back to being frustrated again. Although this time I wasn't nearly as upset as this past Tuesday, I was still struggling to trust God, battling the belief that he was looking out for us, but my level of anger was smaller, and the past couple days helped me to hold on to the truth of God's control more than before. Uh, By the grace of God, we were able to find a deal deal next day that ended up saving us almost $100 on it. Back to Alyssa's car. It turned out that you can't just buy one small like, $10 part that needed to be fixed on the window, but we needed to purchase an entire kit. Um, now the money that our friends had given us wasn't extra cash anymore. It was actually really needed. Uh, just, we actually really need that money now. We brought, I brought the car back over to Steve Green's house. We got the door apart, and as we were working on what needed to be fixed, we messed up something, and it turned out we actually needed the entire kit that they for, forced me to buy. 
There were definitely some times in, during this process that I began to worry, but these recent events of looking past over the past week of seeing God's control encouraged me to trust God throughout this. Then the next day on the way to get inspected, Alyssa's check engine light came on. And I know that some, some certain situations I'll fail an inspection. And I remember on the way there, I remember saying to God, I feel like I'm being punished, although I knew it wasn't true. Um, I wasn't angry or accusing God at this time, but being honest about my heart where I needed the change. Shortly after, I remember the other night at the New Year's, Eve, yeah, New Year's Eve party, my friend had talked to me about how different prayer becomes when we realize God has already taken care of whatever it is we we're praying about, that the outcome, good or bad, is already determined. This was a huge relief and a huge reminder to my soul. I was definitely still concerned, but comforted that everything would be okay, even if it failed. I was able to look back at the wipers being fixed, the cheaper repair, the cheaper tire, the generosity of our friends, and remember that he was doing something in all of this. It was a long, uncomfortable 20 minutes, but, at la- but with the last bit of money that our friends had gave us, we were able to pay for a new sticker. Looking back, I'm thankful for two key people throughout this, my wife and Steve Green. Uh, they were monumental moments. Um, they were great at, for praying for my heart and pointing me back to Jesus. How uh, He had changed every little si- circumstance in a surgical way. I'm thankful for how many people God used to help me through this. Without this close community God has blessed me with, I do not think my heart would worship Jesus fully like it can now. If you don't have people who are pointing you back to Jesus, you need it. At this point, I'm thankful that God has brought me through this. We still aren't in the clear, and we don't have a huge savings count or anything like that. But because of how God chose to bring me through this, the fear that grips my heart when circumstances are out of my control aren't the same as before. It was like a huge earthquake of sin and rebellion followed by smaller, short-lived aftershocks. To be able to trust in God, to be able to trust in God, God revealed to be my lack of control— God revealed to me my lack of control so that I would grow to trust his infinite control of the situation, to trust that under the surface he is at work and taking care of everything. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. I hope that on the one hand you see that and you say, you know what? Wow, that sounds really weak, Josh. We, we expected there to be this testimony where you'd say, you know what? For a moment I never doubted God's goodness. But look at the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Did David ever have a moment of weakness where he failed? Oh yeah, that whole adultery and murder thing. How about Samson? Yeah, I don't even need to go in the story if you know these biblical stories, right? How about Gideon? Gideon was always there, right? Gideon was a man after God's own heart, right? No, he actually led the children of Israel into idolatry. It's not a list of perfect people. It's honestly a list of people who have wrestled through. And what Josh just shared, I really appreciate his candor, his honesty, his, his transparency to tell you where he's been. But that's what it looks like to walk by faith. It's not this, I don't question. It's a heart that keeps coming back. So you've got to understand this. All of our experiences of suffering threaten our faith in the goodness of God, and they tempt us to lead, to leave the path of obedience. All of our suffering really threatens our faith in the goodness of God, and it tempts us to leave the path of obedience. That's why this pastor's writing this. In a real sense, Josh's testimony is a testimony of triumph. Is it not? Because there was enough money. 
There was another story I read this week, and it was a, a book that um, I highly encourage. We'll stick it on the blog this week because uh, I only have it on my, on my tablet here. But David Stitton, um, incredible missionary. You, if you, you need to read this this year. You need to read a good missionary biography, and this is the one you should read, okay? Um, and uh, it, it's called Reckless Abandon. But he shares a story of something that happened in his family, and it's a tragedy. His, um, his brother and his, um, his brother Jim and his wife Muriel in 2009 lived down in Jupiter, Florida. And they had gathered together as a place to, to praise and to give thanks to God on Thanksgiving as a family. And as part of that, their young daughter, Michaela, who is nine and a half years old, Loved this family celebration. And she spent the day helping her mom, Muriel, in preparation for dinner. Following the dinner, the family gathered in the living room around the piano for a special time of praise and thanksgiving. And Michaela had thoughtfully planned out a program, rehearsed it earlier in the day with her mom. She played several songs on the piano. She danced to hymns. She sang Man of Sorrows. She recited Psalm 100 from memory. And others joined in singing as well. It was a joyous time of giving thanks to God. And at one point, Michaela even asked her dad if she could say something that was on her heart to the family. And she encouraged her family that Thanksgiving is not just a time for eating lots of good food and being merry, but rather faith in Jesus is something that should be communicated. She said, if thanks isn't spoken, then it's really not Thanksgiving. It's just thanks feeling. And she went on to say, so that is what we're doing here tonight. We are giving thanks to God. For a young nine-year-old, that's an amazing testimony. So what was the result of that? Well, again, it was Jim and Muriel. Muriel's cousin was there. Well, he calmly left the home, walked out to his car, and came back in with two guns and proceeded to... um, to destroy this family, killing his own twin sisters, but also this nine-year-old girl that she laid in her bed. Why? Because of his anger at the thanks that she had directed towards God. Now here's the challenge with that. That's a tragedy. That is a tragedy. In one sense, our pastor is asking us, okay, you're going to walk through things like this. There are things like this that are going to happen. Would you rather have that little girl have Jesus and trust Him? Would you, would you rather find your hope and your confidence living by faith, walking through that. But we know that our human side is going to offer us something else where we say, if only she hadn't spoken so well of God. She, she could have had her whole life. We could have gone to her wedding. We could have held her children someday. Do you see what happens inside? Like we said, 
all of our experiences of suffering threaten our faith in the goodness of God. Because what am I saying when I look at this side? I'm saying, God, you are not good. You don't know what's good and you don't know what's loving. When, when I walk away from trusting God, when I walk away from faith, and instead, like Josh said, internally I sit there and say, God, you don't love me. You don't know what's good for me. To walk through this health situation, you don't know what's good for me. God, to have to persevere with this for so long with this coworker, you don't know what's good for me. You're not loving to me. To have to put up with this parent, to have to put up with this child, to have to not have money, to, to, to face whatever it is that I'm facing, I know, trust me, it is normal and natural to begin down that path. The thing is, it's not true. Did you hear me? It is not true. This is what's true. That God loved you. He loves you. Enough to lead you through tragedy and triumph. Why? Because suffering calls us to be with Him. That's one effect. Suffering calls us to be with Him. I hope you heard that in what Josh shared. He was drawn with God. Maybe not immediately. Maybe not through the whole thing. But his reaction was to be with Jesus. To worship. And that's the second thing. Suffering also allows us to show what is infinitely beautiful in this world. Suffering shows it to our community. Suffering shows it to our friends. Suffering shows that to our children. Suffering shows that to our spouse. It says, this is what is the greatest thing in all the world. Go back to our scenario about Michaela. If I sit there and say, to have my daughter, what I've said is that my daughter is better than Jesus. Natural to feel, but is that true? To have my health is better than Jesus. In that moment, we are creating a new God and one that is not worthy of that title. Suffering calls us to be with Jesus. Suffering, since we will all taste suffering and since so many of you have already and will again, suffering calls us to come alongside to know the God who loves us. To, to be with Him. It's hard. I'm not saying through all of it that you're not going to face some of the things that Josh verbalized. I'm guessing you will. That's why you need people to speak this to you. That's why we need to gather to remind each other. We need to recognize that there's going to be times where we sit there and go, la, 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 and we're going to plug our ears and say, I do not want to hear the hope of the gospel right now. I want to sit and soak and sour in my assessment of the world.
I don't know if you've seen that with some, some teenagers or some kids that you've been involved with before. But what they've done is they've decided that their parents aren't loving. They've decided that their parents really don't want what's good for them. They've decided these things. And you look at it from the outside and you're like, no, your parents love you. They give so much to you. But if that experience of reality is wrong, my suffering, my experience of reality can be wrong. And what I need to do is allow Scripture to remind me of what's true. But you know the most powerful thing in here is verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, since we see all of these people who have walked by faith through painful, difficult, hard things, and they have struggled through it, they have fought through it, but in the end they have come out the other side and they have lived by faith. Since we have that, let us also, here comes the command, Here's the first thing he's going to say. This is what you need to do. He's going to say, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Persevere. Keep going. Don't stick your fingers in your ears. Continue to lean on and love and walk with Jesus and show your love for Jesus in the difficult places that you're in. And then he says this, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus isn't just our example of what it looks like to run. Jesus is the one who, who lived completely by faith, perfectly, day in and day out. Jesus trusted His Father. Jesus was able to accurately reflect the heart of God. He knew that God only had His good. Jesus walked through suffering with Him, and He did it for God's glory. So our calling then is to say, listen, as hard as it may be, I don't know, some of you I do know, but for many of you I don't know the circumstance that you're walking through today. But I stand with this pastor and I say, continue to walk by faith. In your marriage, in your workplace, with your family member, in your loneliness, with your financial need, with your physical need, whatever it is, I promise you, it is worth it. It's worth it. God is a rewarder of those who believe that He is and that He rewards those who seek Him. It's worth it. Father, help us. (laughs) Because this is easy to say and hard for us to live. 
I thank you, though, that because of Jesus, you empower us then. You help us to live. You don't just tell us to have faith. You actually create faith. And I want to ask that you would help us to trust you even for that today. If we feel like we are hopeless, if we feel like we'll never do it, if we feel like we're at the end of our rope, break us, Lord. If there's sin that we're clinging to, Lord, please break us. Call us out. Show us where that is. Make it even, if it has to be public, Lord, but bust us so that we can be able to repent and turn to you and find our life in you and trust you to be what you've promised to be for us today. For those that are hurting, for those that want this so badly, Lord, may they just know that you have not abandoned them. You have helped them to get there today and you will help them get through it tomorrow. Help us to walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.